Hello. I think it's on. So, my name is Kyle Webb, and I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And that's why I'm here. That's why I hope you're here. And if you don't believe that, man, I'd love to talk to you about that. Because when you truly believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, it'll change everything about your life. It'll change how you live, how you love, how you share the gospel, what you do in your life, how you treat other people. And that's the effect Jesus has on us. That's the effect Jesus had on me. And that's what we get to tell everyone about. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. How exactly Jesus Christ can bring total change to your life and how that's what needs to happen. So if you're here two weeks ago, John Hargrove started the series about Jesus with, Jesus with us. And we're basically walking through the gospel of John and looking at the one-on-one -on -one encounters Jesus has with people. Because as we, as we see these encounters, you know, the writer of John, gospel of John, he paints this biography of Jesus it's biography of how people encounter him. And it provides a better insight into the character of Jesus Christ. And when you truly encounter him and see him for who he is, as Jesus Christ, the Son of God, then you will believe he is the Son of God. And you will have life in his name. And that's John 3.16. And that's a promise. You can take that to the bank. So, before we get into our text, which um, is, we're going to be looking at the story of Nicodemus today. And the title is Jesus and the Curious. Uh, John Hargrove talked about Jesus and the blue, coll blue collar. We're going to be talking about Jesus and the Curious. So, but before we dive into the Nicodemus text, which is John 3, 1 through 17, I think it's important to look at the prologue of the whole book of John. Because in order to understand why John is writing these stories about Jesus, we got to understand what he's trying to get across. So if you would, turn with me to John 1. Starting in verse 1, it says, excuse me. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. And this part this part's where it's important. The true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you that we are able to meet here and just open your word and dive into it, Lord. And I ask that 
we may all take something from this, Lord, and that your spirit may work in here and that we may realize what it means to be born again and why Jesus was so so emphatic about telling that to Nicodemus, how, how important it is that we bring this radical change into our life, this radical change that only you can give, Lord. Lord, we love you. Jesus' name I pray, amen. So, has anyone heard of NASA in here? So NASA stands for the National, Administ- National um, Aeronautics and Space Administration. And, you know, NASA is a United States space agency. They do a lot of projects. They send satellites to Jupiter, sent men to the moon. And they're doing research about this planet, too. You know, they're trying to find ways to solve Parkinson's. And a lot of, you have some of the smartest minds in the world working at this place, some of the most brilliant people. But sometimes they miss what's right in front of them. Um, has anyone heard of the NASA Mars Climate Orbiter of 1999? So basically, if you aren't familiar with this story, this in 1999, NASA built this vehicle to go to Mars and basically survey the climate of Mars. It would enter, in, enter into its orbit and take videos, data, pictures. So imagine you have the brightest minds in the United States working on this, thousands of engineers, some of those brilliant people. And they built it. They launched it up, sent it to Mars, which it takes about six months to get to Mars. It's a long ways. And as it was coming into the orbit to come around Mars, uh, one of the thrusters was firing too forcefully. And it ended up crashing into the atmosphere of Mars and disintegrating. And it was gone. And that's $327.6 million of hard-earned U.S. taxpayer dollars destroyed. So NASA wanted to figure out, why did this happen? How, how could we miss something like this? It, what was wrong? Well, going into and diving into what was wrong, it turns out that one of the computers on the vehicle was using imperial units, that is inches and pounds, and one of the computers was using metric units, meters and newtons. And the last time I checked, an inch doesn't equal a meter. So all the calculations were off, and basically the point of that is that all these, all these brilliant minds, all these intel, intelligent people, some of the most probably smartest people walk the planet, they missed what was right in front of them. It was so obvious, but they couldn't, they couldn't catch it, and it was a costly mistake. Um, so we're going to be looking at the story of Nicodemus today, and if you haven't already read it, you can turn to John 3. And Nicodemus is missing something that is right in front of him. Just as these NASA engineers missed this simple conversion factor that was right in front of him, Nicodemus is missing something, and he's not noticing something, but in his case, it is much more costly than $327.6 million. Because if he doesn't realize this, it costs him his soul. So, turn to John 3 with me, and this will be our main text today. Story of Nicodemus. Starting in verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, 
We know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So, who is this guy named Nicodemus that this happened to about? Nicodemus, he was, it says he was a member of the Sanhedrin. And basically what that means is he was on the Supreme Court of the United States, but for Israel. This is probably one of the most intellectual, theologically sound, brightest minds in all of the land. It would be like Justice Clarence Thomas, who is the Supreme Court Justice of the United States, coming to a 30-year-old teacher's door. And Jesus calls him the teacher of Israel. Not a teacher of Israel, the teacher of Israel. Do you think Jesus throws that term around lightly? I don't think he does. I think, you know, Jesus, Jesus recognized how, how smart and brilliant this guy is. And the potential he has. And I mean, this man, he has the most sway in all the land. He's a member of the Sanhedrin, which is the ruling legislative and judicial body of Israel. And it says in the text that he came at night. You know, John, uh, he included this. I don't know why he included this. It's probably not for us to speculate his motives, but it was probably either because he was, Nicodemus was scared of what the other members of the Sanhedrin would think of him coming to some 30-year-old startup rabbi. Or maybe it was the only time in the day he had. I imagine Nicodemus was a really busy man uh, with many tasks during the day, and his only free time may have been at night. But nonetheless, he came, and that's what matters. Nicodemus was seeking truth. He was curious, and I think a lot of us in here are curious. We want, we want to know Jesus more, and that's, that's all Nicodemus was wanting to do, and I empathize with him that. I think a lot of times... He gets a bad rap because he was a skeptic, he was a skeptic and he didn't know all the answers. But he was curious and he wanted to know. 
So I'm going to dissect this passage is, if you look at the passage, there's three instances where Nicodemus says something and Jesus responds. Nicodemus either says a statement or a question and Jesus gives him an answer. So let's look at the first pair of that. Nicodemus says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You know, Nicodemus is clear here. He's saying, Jesus, I'm not playing around. I want to know the truth. And he, he is obviously a critical thinker and he is super aware because Moses told the Israelite people that a prophet is coming in Deuteronomy 18. And Nicodemus, I think deep down, he wants it to be Jesus. I mean, he wants the Messiah to come. Who wouldn't? And what does Jesus say? Jesus responds with a pretty upside down response, something that would completely turn Nicodemus's worldview upside down. And Nicodemus has no clue what mean, being born again means. So he thinks it's a physical birth. And I, I can't blame him. If I was in Nicodemus's shoes with no context of the New Testament, I probably think the same thing. And, but Jesus is using this physical birth to talk about a spiritual need, a spiritual rebirth. And, you know, Nicodemus's worldview up to this point, it was, you know, he was an ancestor of Abraham. He was a descendant of Abraham, and that guaranteed him a place in the kingdom of God. That was his old birth. But now Jesus is saying that, you know, everything you've done up to this point, everything, all the work you've done in the Sanhedrin, your bloodline, that means nothing. You have to be born again. So, what does this mean? This means for Nicodemus that, you know, he's not checking who his grandfather is to see his status in the kingdom of God. He's just checking who the son is, the son of man, and what that son of man did for him. Nicodemus started off this conversation saying, you cannot do what you do unless God is with you. Now Jesus is saying, you cannot even see what God is doing unless you are born again. So, what does it mean to be born again? That's the question, right? Jesus says we must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. So, what is born again? Something that is born is completely new. It is a new life, not a changed form of a previous one. Also, this is not something we can do ourselves, just as a baby cannot birth ourselves. We obviously need the help from a mother. Um, in the same way, we cannot spiritually rebirth ourselves. Something needs to intervene and assist us. And that's, that's how serious Jesus is about everything in our life changing when Jesus is brought into the equation, that he calls it a new birth, a spiritual rebirth. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not, this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And 2 Corinthians five seventeen says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So, as it said in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, 
Meaning, if anyone is saved, they are born again because of his grace and because they are in Christ Jesus. And because when we are born again, everything about us changes because we are a new person. It is a completely new life. It is a radical change. And this idea of rebirth is, is all over the New Testament, this idea of a new creation. 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So, number one, first point from that, first part of the conversation, we must be born again to enter into the kingdom of God, meaning we must be radically changed from our old ways. So, second part of the conversation, number two. Nicodemus says, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Nicodemus paraphrases saying, how can someone be so radically changed? We know, we know we have to be radically changed, so how can we be? And Jesus says, well, you must be born of water and the Spirit. A rebirth of water and the Spirit throughout Jesus' ministry Throughout his whole ministry, he really just fulfilled old promises. Uh, you know, we see all these prophecies and promises in the Old Testament. And this man come, named Jesus comes along and he fulfills all that. He reminds people of what has already been written. And, you know, Nicodemus was a teacher of the law. He knew the what we call the Old Testament well. He probably have it all memorized. So when Jesus says, be born of water and the Spirit, I think the first thing that probably came to Nicodemus's mind was what Ezekiel writes in Ezekiel 36, 24 through 27. So if you want, you can turn with me there. Ezekiel 36, 24 through 27. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and be careful to obey my rules. You know, this, this passage that Ezekiel's writing in sounds a lot like the cleansing of water in the new birth. You know, we're taking out the old heart of stone within us and replacing it with a heart of flesh. And if Nicodemus's eyes had been open, if he had been reborn, he would have seen this already happening. Because right after this passage in John 3, we see John the Baptist. And John is baptizing people with water. And they are being cleansed. And they are being reborn. And there is change happening. There is revival happening within the land. And everything is pointing that Jesus is the one. And this cleansing that Ezekiel prophesied about is, is ultimately being fulfilled. That when we are born of water in the Spirit, meaning that when we accept God's good gift towards us, that is eternal life, and decide to be buried with Him in baptism, that we get the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the gift of the Holy Spirit, Jesus said in John 16, 
Jesus said it is to our benefit that Jesus leaves because we will receive something greater than him. And that is the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit living inside us. And, you know, that we as Christians, you know, born of water and the spirit, we interpret this to mean that God was talking about baptism and the baptism of Jesus Christ. Because as an Acts 2 says, that is where water and the spirit meet. And we are buried with him and we are raised anew and we will raise with him in judgment day for life. So back to the original question, how can a man be so radically changed? Well, it starts in the heart. It starts with realizing that I, Kyle Webb, have fallen short of the glory of God. And there is nothing I can do to save myself. I must have someone, something intermediate for me on behalf of, in the front of the presence of God, just as they did in the Old Testament. There was always something intermediating for something else. Uh, we see, you know, in Exodus 12, when uh, the story of the Passover and Hebrews were leaving Egypt and the blood on the doorframe saved them. It inter intermediated between the people and God. And then we look at the laws and rules that God set up in Leviticus 1 for the Israelite people. When these people messed up, they were called to make a sacrifice. And there are many types of sacrifices, whether lambs, bulls. Um, but the blood of the lamb intermediated for those people and made them right with God. And now we have the Lamb of God intermediating for us. So something needs, something needs to mediate between us and the Father. And I, I will never be good enough by myself. And that, that heart change of being born again will carry us into truly believing that Jesus is the Son of God and into baptism. And when we are buried into death, in baptism, we get to walk in the newness of life. And that's Romans 6. So, number two. How can someone be radically changed? There is one person we got to know. And one person through which we are born again. And his name is Jesus Christ. So, third part of the conversation. Nicodemus says, how can these things be? Paraphrased. How is this radical change initiated in my life? Jesus says, the sun must be lifted up and you must look to him. The sun being lifted up is always a reference to the cross in the gospel of John. And in the verses, in John three, when he's talking about the serpent, this is a story that the Nicodemus will be really familiar with. And we're going to read it. And it's in numbers 21, if you want to turn there. Numbers 21, starting verse 4. So this is the Israelite people. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. 
And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bidden when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. And we look at the direct parallel of that in what Jesus is talking about in John 3, when he says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And this is, this is a direct metaphor. You see that Israelite people, they disobeyed the word of God. And God punished them for it. And their, their ruling, their, their punishment was death. But God provided a way of escape. Is that if you look to the serpent, then you'll be saved. The same is with us. We, for all have fallen short of the glory of God. But God lifted up his son on the cross. If we may look to him and believe in him, we may have eternal life. Jesus came here for you. He came here for me. He came here for all the world. And he wants your salvation. He wants you to be in heaven far more than you do. Does that make sense? Do you all understand the gravity of that statement? He wants you to be saved far more than you want to be saved. Because he sent his son to die and suffer and was crucified. Also, that we may have a mere chance of eternal life. John 3.16, the whole gospel summarized in one sentence. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, and whoever believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. I don't know about y'all, but I have an interest and having absolute salvation on the day of judgment. And he provides this, that we are to believe in him, and he gives us this, that we may look to the cross, keep our eyes on the cross, and he gives us this good gift. It's that simple. We don't have to make it more complicated. That is his good gift. And when you truly encounter Jesus and look at him, nothing remains the same. It changes how you think. It changes how you treat people. It changes how you love, how you show kindness to people. It changes how you share the gospel. It's a complete life change. And that's why Jesus calls it a new birth. It's, it's basically like starting over a new life because that's the effect. When Jesus Christ lives in you, that's the effect he has on you. And, you know, this isn't some big, this isn't some hoorah. This is, this, Jesus Christ is all we got. This is it, because we are new creatures of a new birth in his new creation. Our old self has died away, and we put on Jesus Christ when we believe in him. So what, what I know we're saying, like, look, we got to look at the cross, but what does that practically mean? Well, to look at the cross means to live like Jesus lived. Philippians 2.5 says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Guys, we have a biography of how Jesus lived right here. And to look at him means to live like him. 
And we get to treat other people how he treated people, to love people how he loved people, and to show mercy on people when they wrong us. That's what it means to look at the cross because that, that's what you do when you truly believe in him, truly believe in his power and that he is the son of God. And, you know, Jesus, he provides his sacrifice and his death and his, his re- resurrection. It doesn't just provide hope for an eternal life, but it provides hope for a meaningful life on this earth because we're living for something greater than ourselves. So, number three, we must look to him and his word in all we do. So, in summary, in this passage of John 3, looking at Nicodemus, a curious man, a very smart man, a brilliant man, one of the most brilliant in all the land. He is a person who, like Israel, is in the dark in a lot of things. You know, he can... He can see the, the obvious that God, God is obviously with this man, Jesus, but he is missing something that is right in front of him. Just as those NASA engineers missed that simple conversion factor that costs over $300 million and probably thousands and thousands of man hours, Nicodemus is missing something even so simpler, and it's standing right in front of him. He was missing that we must be born again. That meaning we must be radically changed to enter into the kingdom of God. And that radical change can only be brought about by letting one man into our life. And his name is Jesus Christ. So I ask us, can we see what God is doing right in front of us? Nicodemus initially could not. And you know, because God, in everything that God does, he is always talking. I think we have to remember that, that I, I do not believe that the Bible is the only way God can communicate with us. You know, do you think God was, do you think God was talking when he split the sea and allowed his people to come through and then destroyed the most powerful army in the history of the earth just so that he could save his people? Do you think he was talking in that instance, that he was, that he was sending a message? You know, we are, we are often buried in what we are doing, and we can't see what the Spirit of God is doing right in front of us, right under our nose. The people God is bringing into our lives. The things Jesus is inviting us to be a part of. But you can only see these things if you are reborn. Reborn of water and of the Spirit. So, going through those three points again, we must be born again, meaning... We must be radically changed from our old ways. Number two, there's one person we got to know, and that one person through which we are born again, and his name is Jesus Christ. And number three, we must look to him and his word in all we do. You know, I don't know all the things that this passage was supposed to mean to the early church, heavy Jewish population, but I do know one thing in the perspective it brings. Because... And saying that Jesus will teach absolutely anybody. And he is opening his arms to absolutely anybody. You know, right now we're looking at at Jesus with the curious, one of the most brilliant minds in all the land. And in the next chapter, well, I believe John's talking about next week is he's going to go visit a Samaritan woman. Like, 
and the lowest of the lows in that society compared to the highest of the highs, a member of the Sanhedrin. Jesus is for everybody. He's not, he's not too good enough to eat with sinners, to eat with taxpayers, to give water to a Samaritan woman. And Jesus teach, will teach absolutely anybody. I would argue that Nicodemus was probably a pretty humble man. Obviously, I don't know there's three mentions of him in the Bible, but just the fact that he would come to Jesus wanting to know more, and he was curious. And the Bible never explicitly says if he ended up coming to Christ, if he was born again. But in John 19, it talks about that Nicodemus was him and Joseph of Arimathea were the two men that buried Jesus Christ. And you can just see through that, just reading in between the lines that Jesus had an impact on this man and he changed this man's life. I assume he came to Christ because I don't, I couldn't see a member of the Sanhedrin going and burying a 33-year-old startup rabbi unless he was a follower of him. But Jesus can change anybody. There is nothing we have to worry about until someone comes knocking on our door that is more powerful than Jesus. But that person will never come because Jesus sits at the center of the throne of the universe, John says in Revelation. Our king sits there victorious and powerful, yet willing and wanting to talk to you about him, about himself, about his stuff, about his grace. And guys, this is so practical because in this world we will have trouble. But Jesus says, take heart. I have overcome the world. We are going to get one of two things on the day of judgment, either what we deserve or what Jesus deserves. And Jesus gives us that opportunity to look to him, to look to his word and be born again so that we may receive what he deserves, that he may mediate on our behalf. He promised to do it, and the least we could do is expect it. Jesus loves everybody. He is with the weary. He is with the ordinary. He is with the brilliant. He is with the tax collector. He is with the Samaritan woman. He is with the poor, with the rich, with the wealthy. Because everyone needs Jesus. No one is too far gone for Jesus. So, just as Nicodemus was curious, keep being curious about Jesus and diving into his word. But don't miss what's right in front of you. How he is working in your life in this good gift of salvation he brings. That we may be born again, be born of water in the spirit. Because Jesus promises, if you believe in him, if you look to him, you will have eternal life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for the good gift of salvation that you bring we thank you for that we're, able, that we're able to meet here with other saints and worship you and talk about you, Lord. And I ask that we may just go into this world with boldness and with courage because, Lord, you have, you have defeated Satan. Amen. You are, you are ruler of the universe, and there is nothing anyone can do to change that. And while you are a ruler of the universe, Lord, you loved us. And you came to this earth and humbled yourself so we may get a glimpse of what you're like and how, how we can live like you, Lord. And I ask that we may do that. Lord, we love you.
Jesus' name I pray. Amen.